among our brothers and sisters in the African-American church, frequently, perhaps weekly, the pastor stands up in front of the congregation and he says, God is good, and they reply, and he says, all the time, all right, not bad for Presbyterians this morning, because, it, because if you learn the truth of this word, which rises out of the marvelous scriptures we're going to look at this morning, it will change your life. We're studying through the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, all right? And if you're new to us, if you're our guest this morning, we are coming now to uh, an unusual, and uh, for some people, uh, they might wonder, why is this here in the list? In Galatians 5.22, it says, For the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and then goodness. Why is that there? What is that all about? And when a Christian studies... The goodness of God, you'll see uh, there are three points for the Christian, especially as it is unpacked in the Bible. The first point is this, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. The second point is that Jesus shocks us when he teaches only God is good. And then the third point, a marvelous point, as Christ lives in you, his marvelous love will touch other people through your Christ-like love. So, let's attend to God's Word. You know, and, and it is hard even in one sermon to cover all of this because you go back to the historical books of the Bible, they teach God is good. You read through the poetry books of the Bible, the Psalms and the Proverbs, and they teach God is good. You look at the minor prophets and the major prophets, and they tell you God is good. You read through the Gospels. You read through the Epistles. They teach us with a voice that is in unison across the span of the Bible. God is good. Tony read Psalm 100, verse 5. It's also in uh, 1 uh, 1 Chronicles 16.34. Listen to this. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His steadfast love endures forever. In the Hebrew language, the word for good, it's the word tov. And in the Greek language, in the New Testament, that echoes this, it's the beautiful Greek word agathos, which captures the goodness that is attributed to God and to His Son and to His Spirit. And When this word is used in the Bible, it is used to describe who he is and what he does, okay? So this adjective, this word that describes God, it's used to describe who he is and what he does, and it teaches us, as you span the scriptures, it teaches us that God is good in his entirety, and he is good throughout his eternity. All right? Did you get that? The comprehensive statement about the goodness of God is that he is good in his entirety and he is good throughout his eternity.
And I hope you find the goodness of God attractive. Why do we worship God? You know, the pagans, why do the pagans worship their gods? They worship their gods because they're powerful, because they're mighty, and because they might get you. But God is not some egomaniac up there who's saying, look at me, look at me, look at me. We worship God because God is good in his entirety. He is filled, and the, and the word then speaks of the moral excellence of God and the beauty of God and the majesty of God and the superiority of God. God is good in his entirety. What do I mean in his entirety? One of the things I love about God is that I, and, and I don't love God as much as I should, okay? I'm the first person to stand before you and tell you I don't love God as much as I should, but I tell you I do love God. And I hope you love God, because as you get to see God, as you get to know God, your response will be, yes, it will be to bow before him, but it will be to love him for who he is. Let me ask you something. Does God lie? God does not lie. God does not lie because God cannot lie, because God is true and faithful, and he is truth. Love him for that. Does God care about you? What do you think? Does God care about you? Yes, because God is love. God is love. Is God ignorant? That is, is he confused? Does he not have all the information? What do you think? God is not ignorant. Why? Because God is omniscient, he is all wise. He's perfect in his judgment. He knows everything. Is God, let me ask you, is God petty? Is God cruel? Is God nasty and evil? No. God is kind. God is compassionate. You see, God is good in his entirety. Is God... Uh, does God make mistakes in his judgments? We know that God judges sin. We know that God is the judge of all the earth. Does God make mistakes in his judgments? You know, like the umpire. The umpire calls the strike, and the batter turns and looks at him, and the umpire sheepishly says, yeah, I missed that call. Does God ever say in his judgment, huh, didn't get that right. I missed that call. Never. No, the Bible tells us that God is perfect in his judgments. All his ways are right and true. And so we love him because God is good in his entirety, and that's why we worship him. And that's what I want for you. That's what I want for us as a church family. As we gather week after week, eager to assemble and agree together that our God is right and true and good in all that he is and all that he does. You see, the atheist cannot do this. The atheist cannot and the atheist will not worship God for his goodness. The crime of atheism. I'm not saying that we should put atheism into the penal code of, our, of the state. 
And yet the word is appropriate. The crime of atheism is the refusal to give praise to God for his goodness as he exists in his entirety. The atheist cannot do this. I was reading about atheists this week, and I read an article by a man named uh, Jackson, and he says this. He says that goodness cannot be explained on naturalistic or crass evolutionistic grounds. He says, if the universe only consists of molecules bumping into each other, right? That's the naturalistic worldview. It's only molecules bumping into each other. If the universe is simply random matter and we are merely bags of chemicals, then it's foolish even to speak of moral goodness. To say, well, I think this is good, he says, is nothing more than saying, I itch. I have an itch. It's just a chemical reaction happening inside my body. When I was in high school, the, I had an English, teach, an English teacher who was an atheist. Not just an atheist, an evangelical atheist. What do I mean by that? She loved to promote her atheism, and she enjoyed demolishing people's faith. And she, would, she made us read the French writer uh, Jean-Paul Sartre. And Sartre, you recall, he's one of these despairing existentialists. And he, he says, he argues, that it is meaningless to speak of good. And he writes, the existentialist finds it extremely embarrassing that God does not exist, for there disappears with him all possibility of finding the values of so-called heaven. It's impossible for there to be good. It's just men's opinions, and those opinions are nothing more than an itch among chemicals banging together inside of a body. And it's despairing, and it's crushing to the soul. The crime of atheism is the refusal to acknowledge that God exists and that God is good. But as Christians, we know that goodness Every semblance of goodness in your life, that goodness originates in God because God is good. I, I love one of those Old Test, that Old Testament passage in Exodus 33. You remember that time when Moses, and he's a little bit impudent, he says to God, show me your glory. Remember that? He says, show me your glory, and God says, well, if I did, I would incinerate you, but... But what does God do? Do you remember what God does? He hides him in the cleft of the rock, which is a picture of Jesus Christ. He hides him in the cleft of the rock. And then he says in verse 19, I will make all my goodness pass in front of you. And, and now you have this sense that God is saying, I will reveal myself and the sum total of all my attributes and who I am is captured by this word tov, this word goodness, the goodness of God. Who I am will pass in front of you, Moses. Wow. God is good in his entirety. But, but that passage that Tony read and that I read to you from First Chronicles also teaches that God is good throughout his eternity. This is so important for you and for me to learn from God's Word. When the Bible says 
that God is good, it is not saying that he is sometimes good. It's not saying that he is occasionally good. It's not saying that. What is it saying? The word forever tells us what it means. His love endures forever. This is what the theologians call the immutability of God. It's a great word that God cannot change. He will not change. And Malachi 3 verse 6 tells us, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. Your very salvation depends on the immutability of God. You see, the work of Christ is finished for you. He has declared you His children, and He's not going to now toss you out to the curb. He does not change, therefore you are not consumed. O children of Jacob, you who belong to the line of Jacob, you who belong to Jesus Christ, God will not change. Hebrews 13, verse 8, a verse everybody should have in the yellow highlighter in their Bible. What do we read of Jesus Christ? He is the same yesterday... What about today? Today, what about tomorrow? And forever, Jesus is the same. Oh, friends, James, at the beginning of James, he he says every good, there's our word agathos, good, every good gift comes from above, from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of change. Goodness, God is good. So glad Mike sang that song for us. Let's make that a part of our repertoire here in this church. He's good, as Don Cameron prayed, he's good to the non-Christian. Why? Because Jesus told us he makes the sun rise and the rain fall on the just and the unjust. Do you get that? Even though the atheist, the non-believer, will not admit it, cannot seem to see it, The Bible says that the warmth of the earth from the sun and the sweet and refreshing rain will fall on the holiest person as well as the most despicable sinner. God is good to both. And He's good through His church, through His people. The abolition of slavery, which has blessed Christian and non-Christian alike, a function of God's goodness through his church. Joseph, he saves Egypt from famine and the rest of the world, that is through God's people, blessing comes. Hospitals, universities, charitable organizations that have shaped Western civilization come through God's people and bring blessing to Christian and non-Christian alike. God is good. We should boast in our God, never be ashamed to boast of the impact of Christianity around the world. Why? Not because we are great, but because God is good. Now, God is really good. God is especially good, especially gracious, as Don prayed, to the Christian, to you, because he has now given you, through Jesus Christ, direct access into the very presence of God. You need never fear in approaching God because Jesus, we are told, has opened the door. That's good. That's really good. He welcomes you in, and now in His providence, we don't understand it. It is often a mystery, right? It's a mystery to affirm that God is good, but we are told in Romans 8, 28, do you know that verse? 
We are told, you know this verse? All things work together for the good, there's our word, agathos, for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes. John Piper says that even when your enemy seems to gain the upper hand and he, and he holds the gun and points it at you and you, he says, Christian, you can stare down the muzzle of a gun and tell that man, you mean this for evil. That's what Joseph said. You mean this for evil, but God will use it for good. And whether we live or whether we die, God will be glorified. And in His mysterious and perfect and good providence, He will bless us. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God is good all the time? Solomon says, Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His love endures forever. Now, Jesus, and this is point number two, Jesus teaches something striking. And it's recorded in all three of the synoptic Gospels, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, so we should pay attention uh, to us if it's prominent in all three of these Gospels. And you recall, there's this young, righteous ruler who must just have gotten his MBA from Harvard or Yale, and he has his law degree, and he's the president of the Chamber of Commerce, all right? And he runs up to Jesus, and he says to him, you recall, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And in the midst of a lot of really interesting conversation, we are struck by Jesus' answer. How does Jesus answer? He says, why do you call me good? Only God is good. Fascinating to study this. Is, you know, I actually believe at that point Jesus is claiming his own uh, deity, the identity of himself as the Son of God, but that's not really the point of the text. He's not excluding himself as God. He's affirming that he is God, but, but the point of, that he's making with this guy is founded on the word only. And this makes us shift in our seats. This makes us uncomfortable. And one more time, I have the unpleasant task of telling you that you should be suspicious of your own goodness. And one more time, you sit there and you say, wait a minute, I didn't come here to be insulted. You insult me, pastor. Don't you know all the good things that I do? Don't you know what a fine chap I really am? And I'm just saying, we need to listen to Jesus here because Jesus is teaching something stark and something true about what has come to be known as the depravity of humankind. And that ever since Adam and Eve were vomited out of the Garden of Eden, since they were excluded because of their sin, Ever since that day, every human being has, is born with an internal pollution and corruption. Every one of us, born, as it says in Psalm 51, born in sin. Every one of us. And it extends itself like a cancer 
to our mind and our emotions and our will. Your mind is darkened. Your will is selfish. Your emotions are broken. Jesus says only God is good. And to be a Christian is to acknowledge this. Have you come to the place in your life where you have acknowledged that you are broken in your mind, in your heart, in your emotions? And have you discovered that there is a God and He is good? Have you come to that place? In John 1, verse 8, and then right on its heels, verse 10, the apostle, now an old man, he writes these words, unflattering words. He's writing to Christians. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. And then just a couple phrases later, verse 10, if we say we have not sinned, we make him to be a liar, and his word is not in us. Ever since that first temptation, when a serpent slithered up to Eve, what did he do? What was his agenda? His agenda was to cast doubt on the truthfulness of God, and his agenda was to cast doubt on the goodness of God. And in, in one sense, all sin arises out of a, a disbelief of the truthfulness of God and the unbelief in the goodness of God. How did that happen? Because God said, you may not eat of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And first Satan cast doubt on whether it's true, but what's really happening? He comes back and he says, oh, no, no, no. If you take for yourself what God tells you not to take, you'll be so much better off. Why? Because God's trying to fool you. God's trying to hold you down. The man is trying to keep you back. And what you need to do is assert yourself. Because he's not good. You've got to get the good for yourself that you imagine. That, my friend, is the essence of sin right in this moment. It is now in us like a poison, like a corruption, like a pollution. What is the solution? What is the solution? What is the solution? The solution is the cross of Jesus Christ, where the goodness of God comes and sacrifices itself for the badness of me and you. That's the gospel. The goodness of God manifested in the good, holy, perfect Son of God who was without sin. He was good. And my badness, my selfishness, my greed, my lust, my covetousness, my unrighteous anger, my pride and self-superiority, my massive self preoccupation, my self-congratulation. You want the whole list? It will crush you if I confess all my sins, but all of my badness he took on the cross because he is good. And the ultimate expression of the goodness of God is found where? It's found in the cross. When we take communion, in a little bit, we take communion 
Why? Because God is good. Communion is good. Because Jesus is good. Because the gospel is good. Only God is good. And I know, I know some of you think, well, those non-Christians here today, they really need to hear this message. But might you, might you be kidding yourself? What is it? Do you think that, well, you become a Christian, but after you grow in Christ a little bit, you need the cross less and less. You see, that's what happens in conservative Christianity. As long as I don't, you know, disobey certain cultural rules, you know, don't drink or smoke or chew or go with girls who do, right? You know, as long as I look good on the outside, that, that's the important thing, right? Yeah. Hmm. Or could it be just the opposite? That the longer you are a Christian, the more you come to know that the cross is precious to you. And the more you come to discover that wickedness that lurks in the flesh, in the flesh. And so the quicker you are to run back to him every day for his grace. Do you need his grace less now? Or do you understand that you need his grace more than ever in your life, day by day, day by day? Oh, Lord, to know you more. Nahum chapter 1. Nahum is this fiery, angry prophet. Nahum 1.7 says, The Lord is good, a refuge in times of trouble. Take refuge in Christ and in the cross. Lamentations 3.25, the Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. What a beautiful verse. And so the psalmist cries out in Psalm 34, verse 8. Do you know this verse? Another yellow highlighter verse. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. And when you take refuge in him, he pours out his Holy Spirit in the surrender of our lives to Christ. We are walking in the Spirit. We are led by the Spirit. In the surrender of our lives to the cross, there where we are humbled before him and presented to him and our hearts are open to him, saying, cleanse me and fill me. You know what he does? Now this, is amazing. The New Testament tells us even though only God is good, the fruit of the Spirit comes in you and you become good. Wow. You become good. Not, not culturally good, not just with the accepted cultural conventions of people around you. You know, there's an awful lot of political correctness in our culture that I actually think is evil, that the, our culture says is good, things our culture celebrates, that according to God, he, he would say that's not good. In fact, God condemns those who call evil good and good evil, and there's massive confusion, is there not, in our day about what's good and what's evil. But church, church of Jesus Christ, what the Bible says is that if you have the fruit of the Spirit, if you are filled with God's Spirit, His goodness shines in you. This is amazing. And you begin, you actually begin to do God's work, and this marvelous transformation is happening. T. 
teenagers, you're in school, and you're taking a test, and you don't know the answer, and everybody's cheating, what will you do? What will you do? You will say, wait wait a minute, I'm, I'm a Christian. I belong to the Lord. He's going to do me good no matter whether I get an A or an F on this test. Is God going to be good to me whether I get an A or an F on this test? Yes, he will. He will be good to you. So what are you going to do now? You're going to do your best, but you're not going to cheat because you're asking God to fill you with his spirit, okay? So you're at work, and some cute little thing comes up and starts flirting with you, all right? And it feels good. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? How do you respond? If you have the fruit of the Spirit, what will you say to yourself? What's that self-talk? We talk about preaching the gospel to ourselves, right? The word agathos should come to your mind. The Hebrew word tov, good, the goodness of God. What's the good thing? What's the good here? The good here, good here is that I'm going to say, hey, wait a minute, I belong to Jesus. I'm I'm not going to go down this path of immorality. Because I belong to Jesus. I want to live for his glory. Well, the list is long, but we don't hate people. We don't condemn people because of their race or their skin color or their, their background. When the world despises other people and everybody's piling on the other person, what will you do? You say, just let's slow down for a minute. God loved me when I was an enemy. Spirit of God, fill me with the ability to bless this one who's being pounded and being hurt. Fill me with mercy and grace. Fill me with your goodness. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 16, you know this, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. And then both Peter and Paul, Peter certainly was there when Jesus said it. He must have been listening because down in 1 Peter 2.12, he says, let your conduct among the Gentiles be honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father. And Paul says, you know what? Before the foundation of the world, God appointed you to do what? Good works. Our Tuesday night men's group, Warren Christie, is telling us all the time, he says, guys, you just need to know that before there was a sun and a moon, before there was a redwood tree planted in California hundreds of years ago, before time began, God had planned for you to do good works through his son, Jesus Christ, in the power of his Holy Spirit. God will get glory to himself through the good works he has prepared in advance for you to do. Wow! That's his plan. One of my favorite current writers is a man named Miroslav Volf. You may not have heard of him. He he used to teach at Gordon-Conwell Seminary. Now he's a professor at Yale. He's a Christian from Croatia. Didn't know there were any Christians in Croatia. Miroslav Volf says to the church, he says, you know, 
There is a hard difference between Christians and non-Christians. He's an evangelical believer himself. There's a hard difference. That is to say, you're either born again or you're not. All right, if you're a Christian, you're born again or you're not. You're either inside God's family or you're outside God's family. And Wolf says, you know, we do have to... We, we acknowledge the Bible teaches there's a hard difference, but, but when you go and talk to the non-Christian that way, they feel rejected. They feel turned off. And, and, and while we have to affirm in, in some way, even graciously, that there is a hard difference, Miroslav Volf says, but church, please know that your best witness is with the soft difference between the non-Christian and the Christian, and the soft difference is when the goodness of God shines through your life and your works and they, they fulfill what Jesus said. They glorify your Father who is in heaven because you have been kind, because you have been forgiving, because you have been generous, because you have been honorable, because you told the truth in the power of the Holy Spirit. In the power of the Holy it's not in your flesh, believe me. But when you have the fruit of the Spirit and these things become real in your life, Jesus says, Paul says, Peter says, we should listen. The non-Christian will look and say, wow, who is your God? And that soft difference has won Millions of people to Jesus Christ who have come to him. Oh, well, let me conclude with this. Friends, if you belong to God, First Chronicles 16.34, Psalm 100, verse 5, say, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Live a life of thankfulness and gratitude and praise to God. We come to communion now. A wonderful time. I told you last Sunday, last Sunday I said, ask God to show you areas of your life where you are not kind, where you have fallen short. This is the time to confess that to the Lord, but to celebrate the goodness of God in communion because of the ultimate goodness of God in the cross. Come to him. And if you are not a Christian, King David invites you. And hear the words of Jesus inviting you. He says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Take refuge in the cross of Jesus Christ. Today, today, is this the first time you will ever say, I believe in Jesus, I surrender to Jesus? This is the day for you to show God is at work in your life. Become a Christian. That's your assignment today. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Take refuge in Him. Let's pray. Our Father, we give you thanks that you are good. And we now come to take refuge in you. We want to take refuge in you. That means that we humble ourselves before you and we agree with Jesus that only God is good. That we in our flesh, we fall so far short all of us. And now we understand afresh why you came, Jesus Christ, into this world for us. We thank you. 
we thank you. And we pray that as we eat the bread and take the cup, you will not only forgive us our sins and confirm your goodness and forgiveness, but you will also show yourself to be the nourisher, refresher, the one who strengthens our souls as bread strengthens our bodies, that your goodness may be that soft difference between us and the world. In Jesus' name, amen.